All right. Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Joined by Steve. How are you today, man? Good. Really good. That's my uh, my little man turned or turned four this morning. We had his birthday party yesterday, so that was fun. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, I don't know. Just it's so cool watching your kids grow up, and yeah, just a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I. It was funny, you and I were on a call last week and Joey was like, I think, sitting around and kind of in your lap and playing. And I always think of him, he always makes the like, little grunt noises like, Ugh. oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like classic Joey, man. I'll, every time I think of Joey, I just think of grunting. Yeah, yeah he, he grunts. I don't know what it is, but just, uh, yeah, he's the Tim, the tool man, Taylor, right? Like, yeah. like literally like that, like just. He does. And it's yeah. always been that way. It's so funny. Uh, yeah. Too funny. Um, well, yeah, we'll dive into some listener questions today. Uh, one thing I just wanted to mention, because this came up uh, quite a bit, is on a recent uh, Final Friday episode that Jakey and I did. Uh, Jake asked me about bipods, and that's always a hot topic. And he was kind of asking me, you know, if you had to pick one, what would you get? Yada, yada. We talked a bit about several options. Um, two that we get quite a bit of interest in that we've used quite a bit are the lightweight bipod from Mountain Gear and then the Spartan bipod. And it was funny, you know, I was talking in part on that final Friday about how I wish there was a better lightweight option for a bipod that worked directly with Arca and didn't need some sort of adapter. And uh, just after that, I think on maybe Monday of last week, or no, it was later in the week. Anyway, uh, Spartan released a new Arca adapter, and you were one of four people within an hour, Steve, <laughs> that sent me like, did you see this? <laughs> it was <laughs> funny. So I will leave a link to it. There's a new Arca adapter for the Spartan bipod. Um, is definitely more low profile than the options I had used previously on my chassis, which was an M-lock adapter. It still weighs three ounces, so it's not the lightest option. Um, and then also Matt, who owns Mountain Gear and designs those bipods, actually listened to that final Friday and just reached out and said, hey, I heard the podcast, just want to let you know we are working on a direct ARCA version. Um, he's hoping that that will be released around, I believe he said July, maybe August one, but just so you guys know, there's, you know, one, a new adapter for the Spartan that is Arca capable. And then two, uh, mountain gear has a Arca direct version coming later this summer. So it was just super cool to, uh, kind of see both of those options pop up here within the last week after us talking about that. All right, Steve, let's dive into a listener question. This one is kind of about uh, jet boils and backpacking stoves and actually one other aspect of uh, DIY meals. Have you guys found any alternatives to the normal jet boil or is it still one of the best to go? And then I was also curious if you guys have looked into the Harvest Right freeze dryer to make your own meals. All right, Steve, still rocking a jet boil these days? Yeah, I've still got my original Jetboil Soul TI. I mean, that thing's a decade old now, This maybe more. Um, <laughs> it's kind of been frustrating because there hasn't been a lot of, at least with the kind of companies that would make backpacking stoves, there's definitely been more of a trend on just more like kind of camping 
stoves, you know, more, you know, bigger, heavier, just kind of more, um, yeah, glamping, I guess you'd call it type stoves. Right. Uh, and I haven't seen a whole lot of like development in backpacking lightweight stoves that I guess Jetbo came out with a stash a few years ago and mm-hmm. it's, their, I think it's their currently their lightest option, but it's a com- complete departure from the other designs. And I know, I think Boshma runs one. Uh, and it, it seems to be working fine, but I don't think it's near as, you know, it's not the same as the original. And yeah. then MSR, um, Primus, I'm trying to think of the, the other handfuls that kind of make Jetboil-like stoves. I mean, they're all, none of them are doing like an ultralight backpacking one, which is just frustrating. Because like, basically I've got a 10-year-old plus stove that's still the best thing out there. Is, uh, that's pretty rare, right? To have yeah. something that old that no one's come out with a really good competitive replacement for yeah but yes uh i was how many years ago did we do the um, gear (laughs) gear reviews yeah we did a pretty in-depth one i think we just talked about on the podcast right that um where i took i got kind of the top four or five backpacking stoves on the market and then just did a bunch of different tests as far as um boiling efficiency boiling uh with extreme cold temperatures i'd put the fuel cans in a freezer for a while and then and then boil and then try to boil water we did wind where i put them in front of a fan at you know a consistent distance it was you know five feet or something like that and uh, jet boil came out on top of that barn like nothing was even close as far as just the how how fuel efficient it was and um and oil times and everything it was just the best and again, nothing's nothing's new or come out since then to replace that. So th- those results would still hold true as far as my understanding goes. Yeah, same here. Um, definitely have looked at other options and considered other options and tested other options. Um, but like you, I've been using that same Jetboil uh, TI, which they no longer make. And yeah, mine's probably about the same as yours, eight, nine, ten years old. And just in the past year, it basically... It was kind of limping along a little bit, like functional, but the, the I think they call them the flux rings, like some of those started to detach and basically mine throws a flame out the side right now. So it's not, <laughs> not the safest configuration. Um, yeah. And then Mine's I did doing pick, the same thing. Yeah, I did pick up the stash and a Minimo over the off season. Um, and I just want to kind of compare both of those a bit more. In the field, still own some other stoves, uh, as you said, like uh, MSR and uh, Primus and a Soto. Um, so definitely a handful. But to me, the like what you said, the balance of all aspects of performance and fuel efficiency and simplicity and et cetera, um, Jetboil's been super tough to beat. And that's what I plan to stick with um, is probably one of those newer options, um, just deciding between the two. And then he mentioned the home freeze dryer as well. I think those are obviously would be amazing to have one. They're just a big investment. Um, I think a couple grand, there may be some cheaper ones, but to get something with decent capacity, decent capability uh, and decent reliability, definitely a big investment. So as I've talked about in the podcast before, I do a lot of dehydrating, which is can be really cheap and simple freeze drying capabilities would be fantastic. Um, and definitely there are some benefits to freeze drying over dehydrating, 
Uh, but it's definitely a much more upfront investment that I haven't uh, taken the leap to do. So, hmm. yeah, have uh, no experience to share there. All right, Steve, this next one is kind of about Basecamp and Spike Camp and what changes between those two approaches. Uh, and then we'll share not only some thoughts today in, our, in terms of our answers, but a link to a previous episode that we have that goes in-depth on this topic. That would be great to point people to. Uh, before we get to that, here's the question. Hey, guys. Um, I just had a question or maybe a suggestion for a topic, but uh, talking about spike camps versus base camps, I was just kind of curious how you pack differently for a spike camp versus a base camp. And uh, when and when you do base camp uh, or spike camp, how long do you stay out? And then the other thing is, um, uh, do you ever do like a modified base camp, like a, a pack in and then, yeah, set up a, a, a base camp? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious, yeah, what your gear looks like. Um, and I'm mostly talking for elk hunting. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that would be a, an interesting topic. You guys probably talked on it before, but I just can't remember if I've heard it or not. But, uh, but yeah, that's it. So, yeah, thanks for the content you put out and uh, everything you guys do. Thanks. All right. So that's a good question from Travis. And, Travis, thanks for sending that in. Uh, that resource, the full episode I wanted to mention is episode 217. And we'll leave a link to that in the show description. Uh, but it was called Elk Hunting Camp Styles, Base, Spike, or Bivy. Uh, and that's something you and I did a few years ago, Steve, with uh, Cody and Trent from Born and Raised Outdoors. And we talked about the different approaches, the pros and cons, when some of those different approaches make more sense than others, et cetera. And one thing that's important, I think, and you kind of hear it in this question, is if you start looking online or talking to people those terms get thrown around like a base camp or a spike camp uh, or bivy hunting. And you kind of have to make sure that everybody's actually talking about the same thing when they throw those terms around. Uh, Cause guys use those terms. I don't want to say interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing to every person. A uh, good example would be base camp. Is that a truck based camp or road based camp? Or like uh, was mentioned in the question, is that kind of like a what I would call backcountry base camp, meaning we're going to hike in four, five, six, seven, however many miles and set up a base camp that we then essentially day hunt out of from that central location in the backcountry at that point. So um, obviously, Steve, you and I uh, primarily what we would just call backpack hunt or uh, what guys would probably call bivy hunting, whether you're using a bivy or mm -hmm. some type of shelter. Um, but essentially just hunting with camp on your back. I'm curious, though, we've talked about that quite a bit. If you think back, when was that not the case for you? So did you ever do more of like a spike camp, backcountry based camp or some other style? And what led you to maybe change? Well, yeah, it's certainly uh, the, it was definitely an evolution to get to where I'm at now of camp on your back every day. The started out with, you know, just normal, just base camp, like drive your truck to it, set up a camp. You know, we had a little pop-up tent trailer that we used for years. And, and then we just, you know, you're limited to, you know, within two miles of a road, right? Like that's your, so you want to pick areas if you're gonna do that type of hunting that just has a lot of road trail you know motorcycle atv trail access so that you can kind of connect these all together and find you know everything i'm doing is just planning a hunt on how i'm going to hike through the country right 
And so you would like, all right, I can drive to this road and then I'm either going to hunt a loop or hunt from point A to point B. And then once I started getting into backpacking, then yeah, that was very much, okay, here's an area I want to hunt. I'm going to hike in there, you know, three miles, four miles, set up a base camp and, and then hunt from that. And I did that for quite a few years, then slowly just started realizing that um, I I was just going to be way, there was a a few times I think that almost by accident where we just packed up camp and maybe, or maybe we just knew we wanted to move. Actually, I think that's exactly how that happened. (laughs) It was like we had, you know, the night before got into a bunch of elk and they were like up and over the next drainage, right? And so we, we hiked down to camp stayed that night, woke up, packed everything up and then, and hunted all day and ended up killing an elk later that day. And I remember thinking like, that wasn't so bad with camp on the back. You know, there wasn't, it's not like you're leaving. If you've got good lightweight gear, the difference between camp on my back and not is, you know, a matter of a few, five pounds, uh, except with the exception of food, if you're in there for 10 days or something, obviously you're out all that food with you, but the actual gear part's not very much. And that's so that I remember that kind of sparked like maybe we should just do this instead of setting camp every night or having a base camp. We'll just take it with us and start hunting that way and kind of evolved into it. And it's just so much. We've talked about it plenty on the podcast, but you're just so stinking efficient. You're not wasting time in the morning and evening hiking, you know, to where the elk are or from where you're at back to camp in the dark. You're just uh, you're getting more rest because you're basically where camp is when it's dark and you don't have to waste that energy and you're just with the elk so you wake up and they're right there yeah yeah as far as uh honest question what changes if i was going to go back and do a backcountry base camp so that hike in three four miles and set up something i would just probably bring you know a bigger tent uh, you know um probably more food just the you know if i i would be completely willing to throw an extra five pounds in my pack of gear just to add some comfort at camp to um because then you just kind of hike that in for four miles and then you're done you're never going to touch that again until you decide to hike out so i would i would just pack a few few more things and then again we've talked plenty about bivy style hunting what that requires and ways to make it easier and uh like a light um and easy to set up tent that also has a small footprint is a really critical part in that yeah i think that's part of what has maybe turned guys off to thinking it's too hard to hunt with camp on your back is they start with the mindset of one potentially packing their fears that we've talked about quite a bit or two thinking that them going into the backcountry requires that they carry all of these things this bigger shelter and some more comfort items whatever they're essentially packing for a base camp and have more extras but then that initial pack in is kind of tough and they think, oh, I could never hunt like this, right? Like I'm carrying too much stuff. And I don't think until you've really begun to like separate those a little bit and understand, okay, how can I actually move light and efficient? And you make some changes and get some comfort and some experience and whittle down what you do need and what you don't need. And when that actually happens, you realize it's not a big deal to hunt with camp on your back. Um, it's, it's just so it's really simple. <laughs> I mean, it just really is. But again, it like, it takes a process to kind of get there for sure. Um, and so it's just, you know, efficiency is the word that always stands out to me when you talk about this, because 
I started by doing what I would call a backcountry based camp of we're, you know, we're going to go live in the backcountry and everything we need for a week on our back and set up camp and do all that. And even in that, we would stay in a place for two, three, four days sometimes, and then realize like we're not in elk or we found elk, but they're kind of too far to reach from our base camp. So we need to move our base camp. And because you brought a bigger shelter and some more things for this base camp for a week, even just moving camp once becomes a pain in the butt because you've kind of like set things up nice and you've rigged this and done that and a larger shelter when a larger shelter requires a better camp spot and all these things. And so it just feels like much more of a chore to manage all this when in reality, if you would just simplify everything, it's actually just super easy. So again, it's a process um, to get there, but I just, if guys have only done more of like a backcountry base camp or like a more static spice uh, spike camp it may seem really overwhelming to hunt with camp on your back but when you pare it down it's it's actually really simple and the to me the big thing yes efficiency but again going especially thinking of out-of-state hunters which i have been is just you're putting a lot of eggs in that basket when you say i'm gonna do a backcountry base camp um, if you can stay much more mobile and move and just deal with a lot less from a simplicity and efficiency perspective, you're just going to be way more effective, um, in particular for elk, which is kind of the context of this question. So we talk about a lot of that and more, um, in that episode I mentioned, that was a full length episode on this topic, which was 217. So look in the show description for a link to that one. If you want to check it out. All right, Steve, this guy wrote in with a question via email, um, has some particular issues that affect him specifically, which we can talk about, but also I think there's some some points we can make here about um, pack fitting and adjustment and then some other gear related items as well. But he says, I have one of your K3 packs and I really love it. Unfortunately, I ruptured a disc and had a fusion of my L4, L5 vertebrae. I'm going through PT and I no longer have mobility or weight restrictions right now. So I can begin the gradual process of building back my strength around my lower back. However, my PT said it will be a while before I'm ready to work with pack weight. I know that exopacks are engineered to carry most of the weight in the hip belts, but are there specific adjustments I can make so that I carry even more weight on my hips? rather than on my back or my shoulders. Also, do you have any tips for backpacking with a bad back? I know that trekking poles will become a must, and it sounds like I need to become an even bigger weight weenie than I have been, but I'm also concerned about a comfortable night's sleep as well. I love the podcast. So much fantastic information. Appreciate appreciate what you guys do. All right, so there's a lot in there, Steve. Um... Feel free, like, so pack adjustment is one thing he mentioned. Mm -hmm. Can you, should he consider making adjustments for his issue in particular? And I'd also kind of just like you to talk a little bit about how people, if they want to kind of maybe carry some more weight here or there, like just the adjustments to kind of keep in mind in general. Yeah, I mean, in particular, for reducing what y'all would run, the tallest frame that he can so if he's got a k3 i would um run it in the 
the ex- flip the extensions and make it as tall as possible. That's just going to help. You know, it's subtle, but it's definitely there of help keep weight off the top of the shoulders. Then I would just leave. I would probably just leave the torso set like half an inch too high. You don't want to go too crazy because then the pack's going to be not stable. But um, leave that set a little bit higher, and then yeah, really, it's going to come down to putting the hip belt on, cinch it up good and tight, and then don't you just don't crank down the harness, right? Like you just snug everything up just like we talk about in all the fitting videos frankly like i don't think it's too unique for his situation where i do you know we talk about it all the time we want 80 90 of that weight on the hip so there's going to be very little weight on the shoulders but if you did put weight on the shoulders it's just because you tightened up the harness too much right so just back off of it um yeah what about hiking with a bad back or sorry he says backpacking with a bad back he mentioned two things one being trekking poles and two being sleep and those i i agree with this guy very very critical um trekking poles definitely use them and maybe this guy in particular would want to use them even more than someone else might just from a stability perspective they definitely I would say even if you don't feel like they're doing much in the moment, they truly do help from an efficiency perspective. And I've noticed that I just am less sore, sometimes less fatigued in general using them. And that's kind of noticed after the fact. So 100% pack them, use them. We talk about that quite a bit. Um, sleep, that's an important one. That's something I know you've kind of gone back and forth with and wrestled with, with both your back and just kind of sleep quality in general, Steve. Absolutely. I mean, it's just about finding the right mattress for you. And then even within that, like using the right amount of air prep, excuse me, um, using the right amount of air pressure inside the mattress for years. I always just inflated the mattress. So it was really firm and just assumed that's what it needed to be. But I found out that if I, um, when I get off of my pad, it's basically flat, right? Like once I put my body on it and then the, you know, it, the compresses and then pushes the pushes the air around. Um, but uh, I found that I sleep way, way, way better with that, uh, with less air in the mattress. And then again, just find the right mattress for you. Uh, there's lots of, lots of options out there right now. That's, that's one thing that could do. Uh, we could do an updated review on is, is mattresses because yeah. there's so many out there now that, uh, that I, I just saw Thermarest did an update to, so I run a Neo air, and they just came out with a new version that's three inches thick instead of the old two and a half. Um, so I saw that. I was like, oh, you know, obviously always chasing a better night's sleep back there. So, uh, And then one thing I found in particular that really helps for me is as a pillow. Obviously, I'm as, as lightweight as I try to be, but that I get much better sleep when I have a pillow too because I need to sleep on my side and kind of just support your neck and head. And then, yeah, just as far as you know, tent and sleeping bag, obviously just pick a, pick whatever works for you. Yeah. I don't think those are the sleeping bag. Obviously you want to be warm. Uh, but uh, as far as, yeah, as long as you get something that's warm, I don't brand X over brand Y. I don't think is necessarily going to be better sleep for yourself. Right. Got it. Is that the new, I was just looking at the thermos. I didn't see an update. Is that the new NXT X light NXT? Uh, yeah i think so i think so yeah it's saying it's three inches saying it's quieter which that would be yep, a welcome yep. change that never really bothered me i know a lot of people that drove them nuts but it's like never yeah never yeah. bothered me that much yeah neo air x light nxt 
Cool. I'll have to yeah. check that Somehow out. kept the same weight, increased the R value, and made it three inches thicker. It's a pretty impressive list there. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, I'll have to look at that more. Awesome, guys. Well, that is a wrap for today. Just a quick, like, what's coming, what's ahead. Uh, Steve and I, you and I, Steve, you and I chatted last week kind of about the podcast. And we always do this kind of this time of year of looking ahead to the summer and like, what what are we going to do before hunting season? And had some really uh, cool series ideas come together. So we've mentioned before, but the kind of listener before and after the hunt series is something we want to continue. So if that's something that you maybe want to participate in, if you want to let us know about your hunt plans for the fall, maybe you draw a tag, maybe you're doing some type of new adventure, et cetera, um, reach out, let us know if that's something you think you'd be a good fit for. And then we kind of have, uh, we're going to take, I would say, I'm not going to lay out the whole thing, but like a combination of some series we've done in the past, we've done reverse engineering success. We've done an expert round table. We're going to kind of mash those up and, and do a really cool series breakdown where we take a hunt, not just tell hunt story, but really break it apart with some specific criteria and categories, but do use that same call it formula of the conversation with different guests who are very experienced, who hunted different species and uh, lining that out right now, it looks really cool. As always, we're gonna mix in some different topics. Uh, we've already recorded some great episodes to come. So just wanna say thank you guys for the con- continued support. Uh, as always, if you can leave a rating or review that helps us tremendously or just share the show with a friend, that's super helpful. Uh, and if you haven't yet hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app, that's how you'll receive all future episodes automatically. And then one final thing is we're putting together some monthly giveaways as well. So stay tuned for more information on all that stuff to come. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.